You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham. We've got a fantastic lineup for you today. We're going to talk a lot of NBA, Lonzo Ball, LaMelo Ball, Zion Williamson, the Jazz, all sorts of good NBA stuff, but I want to start in the NFL, and I want to go back to the J.J. Watt thing. The J.J. Watt signing with the Cardinals, again, it was uh, $23 million guaranteed over two years, $31 million total, with $23 million guaranteed, just a two-year contract, and uh, it happened like right before I recorded yesterday, and so I had like almost no time at all to prep for it, but what I said, and I stand by it, I think it's a good move. I've been hearing a lot of other people say that they think he just went for the money. Well, duh, like of course he went for the money. If if you can get another fat payday of 30 million, 23 guaranteed, of course you take it. I do think that played a huge factor or a huge role in his decision, but I don't think it was just about the money. You know, he's been living in Houston, um, and so he's used to warm weather throughout the year. Maybe that played a role in wanting to stay in that type of climate, although it's desert versus humidity, but it stays warm throughout the year. Maybe that played a factor. Obviously he got paid fat, but the Cardinals are not a bad team. Again, they were eight and eight last year. They barely missed the playoffs on a tiebreaker to the bears. And I think they were better than the bears and they're, they've got a very young quarterback in Kyler Murray, and I think J.J. Watt is showing the kind of faith that he has in Kyler Murray to choose a team like that. He probably sees a little bit of, Desha- of Deshaun Watson in Kyler Murray. He probably likes the coaching situation there better. But the the Cardinals were a good team, so I don't think it was just about the money. I think he could have gone to a better situation for a win-now type of thing, You know, maybe like the Green Bay Packers. He went to Wisconsin uh, for college. I don't know where he's from, but I know he went to Wisconsin uh, for his college ball. And obviously Green Bay is in Wisconsin. So maybe he could have gone there. But if I'm him, it's like I look at Aaron Rodgers and he's an all-time great for sure. But he hasn't won a Super Bowl in 10 years. And this last season was a, really his best opportunity. And Tom Brady went and beat him. He could have joined the Bucks, but are the Bucks going to be able to keep doing it for years to come? I mean, at what point does Father Time really catch up to Tom Brady? And we know that quarterback play was really important to J.J. Watt. He, he said that. And so I don't think Kyler Murray and the Cardinals is a bad choice. It might not be the best choice to win a Super Bowl. And that's the argument is that he's not trying to win a Super Bowl. But I don't think it's a bad choice to try and win a Super Bowl. And it's certainly a great choice to make some money, be in some warm weather, be surrounded by good teammates, and, and have a real legitimate shot at winning a playoff game or two. And if they, you know, if, if, if the stars align, you know, you can win a Super Bowl. It's the, it's the hardest thing to do in sports is win a Super Bowl. So that's the JJ Watt thing. Okay. Now sticking in the NFL, before we get into all this NBA stuff, uh, Dak Prescott has now gone on the record saying that he wants, um, Patrick Mahomes like money. Basically he wants to be right behind Patrick Mahomes with his contract. That's what he, that's what he said. Um, and when I first heard that, I thought, dude, (laughs) you have got to be kidding me. And then I looked up their stats and, uh, you can take a look here for those on YouTube. Uh, you can take a look on the screen and just look at these stats. Um, these are career and I did it per game started. So touchdowns per game started, 
Uh, Mahomes two and a half to Dak one and a half. Interceptions per game started both around a half an interception per game started. 0.58 for Dak, 0.52 for Mahomes. Yards per game started. Uh, Mahomes 308, Dak 256. Completion percentages were identical to the decimal point, 66 even. Passer rating, uh, Mahomes gets the nod again, 108.7 to 97.3. Win percentage, 82.5% of his games, uh, 82.5% of his games, Mahomes is winning 61%. Dak is winning. Game winning drives, Dak with more than double Mahomes. Of course, Mahomes is always ahead by so much, he doesn't have to have game winning drives. Um, and then their age, obviously, Mahomes is a couple years younger. Dak's coming off a pretty bad. Um, Injury, of course, too. But the other thing I looked up was just last, not last season, but the season before, because that was the last full season that they both played, plus it was not coronavirus affected. But uh, Mahomes had a QBR of 77.7, which was second in the league behind only Lamar Jackson. Dak was fourth in the league with 71.9. Uh, yards, Dak had more. So like the last full season they played, they both played pretty darn well. Dak had 30 touchdowns. Mahomes had 26. And so it was just kind of an interesting thing to look at that. And I was like, dang, Dak's not that far off from Mahomes statistically. And, and it has produced wins. Now, the big thing here is, will it produce wins in the playoffs? And that's where Mahomes has really made his money. The guy's been to two Super Bowls already. He won one of them, of course. He's an MVP. It's 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 interesting though because Mahomes is so much flashier. I think we give him a lot more credit, and and he's he's due all the credit he gets. But comparatively speaking, is Dak that far behind? The answer is honestly no. I mean, as I look at it here. Dak is not that far behind. He is behind Mahomes. He knows that. We all know that. But he's not that far behind is the point. So interesting to see what happens with Dak Prescott. And now that you've got Russell Wilson on the record saying he would be open to going to Dallas, and now you've got Dak who's coming off a serious injury saying he wants Mahomes-type money, man, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm working real hard to to get that uh, trade done for Russell Wilson. That'd be my goal if I was the Cowboys. I hope they don't do it because, again, I'm a Washington fan. We're in the same division, and I don't want to see that. uh, I don't want to see Russell Wilson in our division. I don't want to to face him twice a year. I wish he'd just come to Washington. I wish he'd just come to Washington. Okay, moving now to the NBA. Excuse me. Okay, sorry about that. Jazz Pelicans. Big Jazz fan. And they play the Pelicans last night, and they're ahead for much of the game, and then they have an awful third quarter. They give up all sorts of points. I don't even remember what it was. It was 40-something points in the third quarter. And um, then they come storming back late, like real late. I'm talking like there's three, four minutes left, and they're down 15. Come storming back on like a 15-3 to run. And I remember um, Donovan Mitchell has a chance for a go-ahead layup, and it's in transition. Um Go-ahead layup. He misses it with about 31 seconds left. Would have put the Jazz up by one. So they're down one, and he misses a layup. Rudy misses a tip in, and the epic comeback falls short. So the Jazz lose 129-124. And they had a chance after that to, you know, to score. And they were down three, but there was still plenty of time where they could have got a bucket and then fouled and done that whole game. But instead, they 
passed the ball a bunch and then Conley forced up a three and it airballed and it just it just didn't go well. But what's funny is that the Jazz actually played pretty well. Like the Nets or excuse me, the uh Pelicans just kind of played out of their minds. You know, they shot way better than they typically do. Uh, the Jazz took 43 three-pointers last night, which is about their average for the season. But the Pelicans took only 11, and they won the game. So sometimes those analytics aren't all they're cracked up to be. The Jazz took 43 threes. They actually made 17, which is about 40%, which is really freaking good. And they still lost the game. The Pelicans, though, they shot 56.5% from the field. Um, a 7-11 from three, which is 64% almost, but when you only take 11, it's it's not as big of a deal. So Pelicans get the win. Zion Williamson had a monster game, 26 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists. He did have 6 turnovers, um, 10 of 17 from the field. The kid's a beast, and he's going to be a superstar for years to come if he can just stay healthy, which we all hope and pray, of course, that he can. Um, but... The Jazz, they don't have to worry. They've dropped two of their last three. You could argue they're coming back to the pack a little bit, which they are, actually. In fact, if I were to do my power rankings today, which I'm not going to, but if I were going to, um, I would flip-flop the Nets and the Jazz. I had the Jazz 1 and the Nets 2 as of five, six days ago. And today, I would have the Nets 1 and the Jazz 2. It's a road trip. They've dropped two of three, the Jazz, that is. So they don't need to worry, though. The Pelicans just played an outstanding game. Lonzo Ball played significantly better than he has uh, thus far this season or really for his career. It was, a, it, was, it was a really quality game for him. 23 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, 9 of 16 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3, 2 of 2 from the line, uh, 0 turnovers, 2 blocks. I mean, Lonzo had a game. He was plus 6 in the plus minus, which led uh, – no, J.J. Redick was – was number one on his team at a plus eight, but Lonzo was number two. So the Pelicans just had a game. Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram had 26. JJ Redick had 17. Josh Hart had 13. Like they all just kind of chipped in, got it done. Big games, especially though, from their stars in Zion, Lonzo, and Brandon Ingram. Um, but speaking of the Nets, the Nets beat the Spurs in overtime last night, 124-113. And they had an 8-0 run with about 45 seconds left to just end the game in overtime. And that's so so they, they blew them out in overtime by 11 points, but it was due to like an 8-0 run at the very end. And uh, it shouldn't have even gone to overtime, but there was a nice shot at the end um, by DeJounte Murray. Literally drops the ball, picks it up, puts it in the hoop at the buzzer to, to force overtime. But Harden had a huge, huge triple-double. And Harden is impressing me more and more and more. I've been one of his biggest critics. I think James Harden is clearly a phenomenal talent, but I've said for years now that he's not the type of player that can be the number one guy on a championship team. And I stand by that. And that's exactly why I'm so impressed by him and and would actually, for the first time in my life, put him in the MVP conversation because he realizes that. He realizes, hey, Sean was right. I'm not... I'm not the number one guy on a championship-type team. I need to take a little bit of a back seat, which he's been doing with Kyrie and with with, uh, Kevin Durant. Durant has not played uh, the last several games. But last night, James Harden, first player in NBA history to have this type of triple-double of 30-plus points, 15-plus assists, and 10-plus rebounds. 
He had 30 points, 15 assists, 14 rebounds, and here's the kicker that makes it NBA historical, zero turnovers. Zero turnovers and a plus 16 in the box score, 30 points, 15 assists, 14 rebounds, zero turnovers. That is incredible. That, that's a monster, monster game from James Harden. Kyrie Irving uh, had 27. So it's interesting, though, because the the Nets have not played many games with all three of their stars. And so while the, right now it looks like they're just steamrolling the league, I still am not sure what to expect from them come, you know, all three of these guys being in the lineup, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, can they share the ball? Will they continue to share the ball? I think Harden is proving that he can. Kevin Durant, we already know can and has. Kyrie Irving's the big question mark for me. When when KD comes back and KD needs 25 shots a night and you know Harden needs his 17 or 18, because Kyrie is really the third best player on the team. He really is. Uh, it's working right now because Harden is humble enough to just defer to Kyrie because Kyrie can light it up. Um, and I think Harden knows, of course, that Durant is better. I think they both know that Durant is better. I think Kyrie would have a harder time admitting it. But anyway, I'm interested to see how they gel when all three of them play consistently. And they're going to need more and more reps together come so that come playoff time, they're ready to win a seven-game series against a quality opponent with a lot of team chemistry. But, man, James Harden, that was, uh, that was something... Um, to see him go for that type of a triple-double with no turnovers because he's been talking himself about trying to cut down on his turnovers, and he definitely, definitely did last night. Okay, back to the Pelicans real quick. There was talk, and this may have been part of why Lonzo had such a monster game, but there was talk about, now for the second time in just the last few weeks, there's talk about the Pelicans potentially moving Lonzo Ball. And the the latest I'm hearing is that, you know, there's not enough time before the March 25th trade deadline, though I don't really understand why. That's three weeks away. Um, but that's what we're hearing. But there's talk of them moving him to surround Zion with higher quality opponents. The thought is that Zion is a once-in-a-generation talent, which he is, and they don't want another Anthony Davis. They don't want to have a guy that is just outrageously talented, can drag a team to the playoffs, only to lose in the first round and then want out and eventually go and win a title in his first year with another team. The Pelicans don't want that. They've, they've read that book. They've watched that movie. They don't need to see it again. And I'm convinced that they are going to do everything in their power to surround Zion with quality, quality teammates. And I don't think they see Lonzo as that type of guy. And Lonzo, he's a, he's a solid player. He's a, He's a solid starter in the NBA, but he's a really good trading piece if you want to go out and get another superstar. You include him in a package to get another superstar, and maybe you have a chance at really doing some damage in the playoffs. Right now, they're not even in the playoffs, which is an interesting thing because they have the talent, um, but they're not, you know, they're not in the playoff hunt right now. But again, there's a lot of season to go. But so I started thinking last night. Who's better, you know, Lonzo or Lamelo? And well, I actually didn't think about it. Lamelo's already better, and but Lonzo had a great night last night, 
And LaMelo also played last night and also played really well. Um, and we're going to get into Lonzo versus LaMelo here in a second. Um, but LaMelo played the Blazers. So the Hornets played the Blazers, which is, of course, a matchup of the Mellows. Carmelo Anthony, LaMelo Ball. And there's been there's been uh, some announcers the last two games that LaMelo played and the Hornets basically calling him out for wanting to be Carmelo or copying him or his name is you know his celebration first it was doing the three fingers to the side of your head you know and you make a three-pointer which was clearly Carmelo Anthony's celebration so I'm with the announcer on that one like let's let's not copy the guy that blatantly you've already kind of stolen his name a little bit you know <laughs> um but then last night the guy's saying you know there can only be one mellow you know and if you're and that's Carmelo if you're saying if you're talking to anybody else you got to say his full name and I disagree with that I mean come on LaMelo Ball was two uh when Carmelo entered the league so when he was born Carmelo was like in high school so I don't think the name or the nickname had anything to do with Carmelo Anthony I feel very confident in that I have not talked to LeVar maybe we can eventually get him on the podcast but um, I feel very confident that it's just a unique name. Both of them, LaMelo, Carmelo, those are unique names. They both have the mellow at the end of them. That's a very obvious and fun nickname. So I don't think the nickname or him being called mellow or wanting mellow on his social media has anything to do with Carmelo Anthony at all. It's the kid's name for crying out loud. Give him a break. Copying him with the three points, you know, the three three fingers to the side of the head. I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do that other than Carmelo Anthony. He certainly made it famous for me. So I would say for if I'm LaMelo, I'd come up with a different celebration because you already are connected to him because of your name. I'd separate it a little bit. But it was cool to see the two of them do a uh, jersey swap at the end of the game. Um, you know, Carmelo showing some love to the young Melo and... Uh, you know, before the game and then after the game with the jersey swap. The Blazers and the older Mello got the, the victory, by the way, 123-111. And both of them played really well. And I'll tell you right now, I don't think it's a coincidence that Carmelo Anthony had one of the best games of the season for him. He had 29 points, 5 steals, 3 rebounds, 2 assists, and 2 blocks. I mean, that's a fantastic all-around game, offensively and defensively. 29 points of 10, on 10 of 19 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3. And then he has five steals and two blocks. When was the last time Carmelo Anthony had five steals and two blocks? So just a great game all around for Carmelo Anthony. And I don't think it's coincidence that he played really, really well in the game against the guy that is kind of stealing his identity, essentially, with the name Melo. So Blazers get the win. But LaMelo had a great game, too. 30 points, though he was a minus 18 on the box score, on the plus-minus. And Carmelo was a plus six. But LaMelo, a minus 18. Um, that's not always the most telling stat. It is it is an important one and is kind of a nice one that I like. But it's not always the most telling. But beyond that, LaMelo had 30 points, four steals, eight assists, and six rebounds. And only three turnovers, which is pretty good for him. 10 of 18 from the field, 5 of 7 from three, um, 5 of 6 from the line. So... He had a monster game as well, and ever since he became a starter uh, just a few weeks ago, he's been playing bonkers. I mean, he's he started off the season a little bit slow. He like didn't even score his first game and first like game and a half, and then he's just taken off since then. And to me, he's become clearly the better player of the Ball brothers. He had a play last night. Lamelo did. I was watching this live, 
it was a, a sequence where he hits a deep three. I'm talking like three, four, probably five feet behind the line. So he's, he's close to 30 plus feet at this point. Drills a three-pointer. The very next play in transition, he's coming down and there are two defenders, you know, one right in front of him, one to his right and in front of him. And he's got Terry Rozier kind of on the outside of the defender to his right. I don't know how he even sees this, but he does this spin, bounce pass, splits right between the two defenders, spins it into perfect placement for Terry Rozier, a streaking Terry Rozier to catch and, and lay it in. It was one of the greatest passes I've seen this season. I watched it live and I was just like, this kid is the real deal. He just hit a very deep three-pointer. And on the very next play, he leads the break and has one of the best passes I've seen all season. So to me, LaMelo ball is already the better ball. Um, and so I looked up, I wanted to see for myself, and I looked up their stats, and I'll put them here on the screen for those on YouTube, side by side. This is this season, uh, and this season only because LaMelo's a rookie, so I don't want, didn't want to go into career stuff. But this season, LaMelo is averaging more points, a better field goal percentage, a better free throw percentage, more rebounds, more assists, more steals, higher PER, his team's winning more, and he's four years younger. That's impressive. And to make it even more impressive for LaMelo is that Lonzo is having career high in points, and he's still fewer than LaMelo is this season. Career high in field goal percentage, he's still lower than LaMelo is this season. Career high in three-point field goal percentage, which he is higher than LaMelo. Career high by a long shot in free throw percentage, he's still lower than LaMelo. So everything that is related to scoring, Lonzo is having a career year in. Points, field goal percentage, three-point percentage, free throw percentage, which, by the way, is really encouraging. If you're the Pelicans or if you're a team potentially going to trade with the Pelicans, that's a very encouraging stat for Lonzo Ball. That's something I was kind of critiquing um, Ben Simmons on in yesterday's podcast. The guy hasn't evolved. The guy hasn't improved. His numbers are literally identical from his rookie season, his fake rookie season, all the way through to today. He's identical in points, field goal percentage, three-point field goal percentage, um, rebounds, assists. He's just he's just the same player. He's really good and he's been really good, but he's not he's not to me in that great category and he's not showing improvement. He's not showing evolution. He still can't shoot. The only thing he's improved on is his free throw percentage, which is important. But let's see him learn to shoot a three here and there. You know, and Lonzo has done that. Lonzo's shooting a career high from the field, career high from three, and 39.7% from three. That's really freaking good. He's taken over seven threes a game, too. So, career high in points. So, Lonzo's having a career year, and LaMelo is still the better player. He's still the better ball, and he's a rookie. I mean, the, the, the ceiling for LaMelo ball is really, really high. I think you're looking at a, a potential superstar in the making. Again, it all is going to come down to people staying healthy and being in the right situation. But the Hornets seem to have it together. They're in the eight seed right now in the East. And maybe Michael Jordan, as an owner, GM, is finally putting something together. But Terry Rozier is a great pickup. Gordon Hayward's a great pickup. LaMelo Ball, LaMelo Ball was a great draft pick. Uh, Devontae Graham has proven to be a great pick. They've got some really good pieces in place. And it would be interesting to see if they can build on that over the next few years. And if LaMelo wants to stick around in Charlotte, that's a very small market. See if his dad eventually gets in the way. But again, 
LaMelo already had the better ball. And, and I feel bad for Leangelo. I mean, obviously, he's I'm sure he's got a great life, and he's a great basketball player in his own right compared to, you know, people like us, me anyway. Um, but he's not in the NBA, and his two brothers are. He's sandwiched between two number two draft picks, you know. It's like older brother number two draft pick, younger brother number two draft pick. Both of them are starters. Both of them are bona fide starters. And one of them has the look and feel of a superstar in the making that's Lamelo, and then Leangelo's just kind of left uh, left out uh, left out of the league so feel for that guy but okay last thing I wanted to touch on today um it is the anniversary of Wilt Chamberlain scoring 100 points he did it against the Knicks um in 1962 on this very day and that's impressive I get it 100 points yippity do um but I've always said, and I remember it like it was yesterday, when Kobe Bryant scored 81, I instantly said, and still to this day feel very strongly, that that is the most impressive offensive game in the history of the NBA. Kobe Bryant's 81 is more impressive than Wilt's 100. It's more impressive than Jordan's 63 in the playoffs, although that one's right there because it was against a far superior team and it was in the playoffs. But 81, and so... Here's the side-by-side. Again, if you're on YouTube, check it out. Kobe scores 81. Wilt scores 100. And a very interesting stat to think about is the percentage of your team's points. The percentage of your team's points that you scored. Kobe scored 66.5% of his team's points that day. Wilt only 59. Kobe took fewer shots to get to his 81. He shot a higher percentage from the field at 60. So Kobe was 28 of 46, for those that are just listening. Wilt was 36 of 63. Uh, Kobe, 61% from the field. Wilt, 57. Uh, Three-pointers weren't a thing in Wilt's day. He wouldn't have taken any anyway. But Kobe was 7 of 13, which is 54% from three. 18 of 20 from the free throw line, which is 90% exactly. Wilt was an impressive 28 of 32, which is 87%. Wilt had an astounding 25 rebounds to Kobe's six, both of them with two assists, and both of them got the dub. Uh, the 25 rebounds to go with 100 points and no foul line or no three-point line and 32 foul shots, all of that just screams to me a total lack of legitimate competition for Wilt Chamberlain in 1962. I don't want to diminish 100 points. I don't want to do it, but I'm just going to be real. If you're scoring 100 points shooting 60% practically, and you're taking 32 foul shots, which means guys can't stop fouling you because you're so big and dominant. And it's not like they were fouling him on purpose because he sucked at free throw shooting. The guy shot 28 of 32. So they're just fouling him because they don't know how to defend him. They're not good enough. And and then you get 25 rebounds on top of that. I'm sure. I, I'm sorry, that just screams to me that there was no real legitimate competition back then. And if you look at the film, the film kind of backs up that theory. Kobe, on the other hand, was going up against today's athletes, like legitimate competition, the best athletes in the world, with no discrimination keeping guys out of the league or anything like that. Kobe was up against stiff, stiff competition. The Raptors weren't the greatest team ever, but they're a good, solid NBA team in today's today's league. And he drops 81. 81. So to me, Kobe, may he rest in peace, has the most impressive offensive game in the history of the NBA ahead of Will Chamberlain's 100 points. That is all the time I have for today. Thank you for subscribing. 
Please subscribe on YouTube. Please subscribe on Anchor and Apple Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. And if you go to anchor.fm slash STB Sports Take, you can record an audio message and it will be, I can feature it in an upcoming episode. So you can ask a question, you can give me your hot take, whatever you want. So submit one. That is all I have for today. I am out. Peace. We got the Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports. Cause we are-